Welcome to Cultural Connections Lab. I'm your host, Dr. Kelly Forbes. We are here to talk with educational professionals around the world to impact and influence the education system as we focus on cultural connections and the education of multilingual, diverse students. We're excited to have you join us today, and we sincerely hope that you enjoy the show. Are you ready to take your school district to new heights? Introducing EduSkills, the leading software as a service platform for Title III and multilingual support in education. At EduSkills, we understand the importance of equitable education and empowering multilingual learners to thrive in today's classrooms. Our cutting-edge technology provides school districts across the nation with the tools they need to enhance language acquisition foster inclusivity, and improve academic outcomes. With seamless implementation and comprehensive support, EduSkills ensures a smooth transition for your district, empowering educators to provide targeted instruction and personalized support. So why wait? Unlock the potential of your school district today with EduSkills. Visit our website at eduskillsllc.com or call us now at 405-879-9898 to schedule a demo. EduSkills, transforming education one student at a time. Welcome to another podcast of Cultural Connections Lab. I am your host, Dr. Kelly Forbes, and I am excited to be with a new friend that I am meeting today. Um, her name is Tracy Morales, and she is proudly from Tulsa, Oklahoma, which I am as well. So way to go and shout out to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, Tracy Morales from Tulsa, she has proven a track record in community organizing, family engagement, and student advocacy. As one of the founding members of Dream Act Oklahoma, she played a pivotal role in establishing the statewide organization which continues to provide pro bono legal assistance to undocumented students and their families. Presently in her role as the family and homeless coordinator for Cricket Oak Public Schools, she serves deeply committed to fostering connections among diverse cultures and experiences with a special focus on supporting our Black and Latinx students. Her dedication is fueled by her firsthand understanding of the challenges faced by students with parents who primarily speak Spanish and possess limited education. She aspires to be the advocate she wished she had during her own K-12 journey. Tracy is a first-generation college graduate who earned her bachelor's degree in public relations from the University of Oklahoma, along with a master's degree in human relations. A big bienvenido a Tracy. Thank you so Muchas much for being gracias. with us today. Gracias. I'm so excited that you're here, another Tulsan. <laughs> yes, definitely. 918 representing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness! It's so, I just I, I I'm so surprised that I haven't been able to meet you yet. Both of us being from Tulsa, both of us having this passion, obviously, for multilingual, multicultural education, and um, having myself also worked in Crooked Oak Public Schools as their first Title III director. Um, it's oh, crazy good. how this is like full circle right now. Yes, it is. It's a small world. 
It is such a small world. With that, I also want to make sure that we introduce our co-host today. You all know him from the very first episode that we had on Cultural Connections Lab. A big shout out to the president and CEO of Skills, the sponsor of Cultural Connections Lab, Dr. Jeffrey Taylor Tribble. Bienvenido, señor. Gracias. It's good to be with you guys today. Looking forward to it. Well, I'm really glad. I would like to start off by actually just um, learning more about how the two of you actually met um, and kind of where all of that started. How did how did you meet Tracy? Madonna Tracy probably you? doesn't even know. You know, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I knew I knew of Tracy um, before we met. I have seen just social media, uh, uh, I guess think some some things on social media that Tracy had been doing in the community and then um, I connected actually with her one of her former supervisor boss I don't know how you would uh, term uh, him Tracy Akash Patel but um, yeah Akash co-worker yeah so so with aspiring yeah with aspiring Americans I met with him and talked to him about what the organization was doing and ask if he'd be interested in coming to one of our our conferences and he was booked but he uh he said that you would most likely be available tracy and so uh that's when i got in touch with you and i don't even know if you remember coming out to we did a conference in edmond this would have been probably 2018 or so maybe even before that yeah. uh, re- related to um just kind of immigration policies and schools things like that so uh, Correct. You, yeah. So that's when we met uh, for the first time. And I've really kept track of what you've been up to and been inspired by all the work that you've been doing. So honored to have you on the show and uh, get to discuss more detail related to your background. Well, thank you so much always for the opportunities. And yeah, we met through professional development whenever I was doing that, um, mostly educating teachers on how to assist undocumented students, whether it be recognizing, um, identifying what undocumented even meant, uh, scholarships, additional financial aid, and a lot of that also, I guess, in 2018 was what we call now that diversity and inclusion. Um, we <laughs> hear a lot of those conversations of how do you do diversity and inclusion? And um, back in 2018, we were having those conversations of I have undocumented students. Um, what is DACA? what resources are available. So it was thanks to people like Taylor who were encouraging teachers and school districts to invite aspiring Americans to give this, um, provide these conversations and resources for our teachers across Oklahoma. So thank you, Taylor, for always connecting us with those organizations. Absolutely. Thank you for all you do. It's important work. It's really, really important work. And Tracy, I just want to say thank you so much for your service for that, because I really feel like there is a special need for this topic to be elevated to the forefront of our conversations whenever we consider the students that we're serving in our schools. And having that yes. deeper understanding, that connection is vital for, yeah. um, for, for not just their academic success, but for life beyond. Definitely. Yeah. And just from experience, you know, when I came to Cricket Oak Public Schools, and I've been there for two years now, 
um, then documented populations was not very high, at least from the student component. So I was surprised for the first time because I came in like, okay, I'm ready to, you know, talk about the, what an I-10 number is, how to get scholarships. But what I realized this year, at least, is we've been having conversations at school about voter registration and, um, like know your rights conversations and some of the students have been saying hey miss morales do you who who is able to register to vote and now mm. through that conversation that's where we're discovering our undocumented students that we had not recognized previously wow. so i i had never done it in that manner it was usually you don't have a driver's license or it, so it was like a, the age range of 15, 16, or mm -hmm. after that, once they were seniors trying to fill out FAFSA. But the conversation of, are you eligible to register to vote? That was never an outlet that I ever took. But now, you know, I'm taking notes and that may be a new way to discover within our school districts if a student needs assistance or if they are undocumented or if they even know that they're undocumented. That is a really good point to to bring up because you're right, depending on the age of the of the child would give different signals to whether or not if they needed extra support in different areas based on documentation. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good about because you obviously getting to know your students more, getting to know your families more and those that you serve help you, you know, unveil some of this to be able to be support um, for yes. for them. Um, you discussed, um, I mean, just uh, briefly in your bio and having gone through and looked at, at your LinkedIn, you yourself have a very personal experience with this. Um, um, do you mind sharing a little bit about your personal experiences, the role that, that cultural proficiency or cultural awareness played in this and what brought you to your advocacy today? Yeah, definitely. So whenever I was um, at Tulsa Community College, I was given the opportunity to do a lot of activism. Um, and that stemmed from creating the organization Dream Act Oklahoma, which is now called Dream Action Oklahoma, at least in Oklahoma City. So it's in Tulsa, Oklahoma City. And we did a lot of lobbying in Washington, D.C. We did training in Texas and um we partnered with the um, nonprofit United We Dream. So the people who were in the forefront who created DACA, who were coming up with proposals on a pathway to citizenship for undocumented students. Um, and I never really knew why it interested me, honestly. And let me tell you why. So both of my <laughs> parents are citizens all of my siblings are as well. And I was born in Tulsa. So I never, you know, had to deal with the fear of my parents or my siblings being deported, um, which I'm grateful for that. So whenever I would tell people that this was kind of like what I was passionate for, sometimes they would ask me, well, what's gonna happen to you if you become too bold, right? If you do decide to do a sit-in, if you do decide to get arrested. And 
I never understood that question. I was like, what do you mean? What's going to happen to me? Um, yeah, you know, in terms of my record, it's probably going to be messed up. But then I realized that they were saying, well, what's going to happen to you if you get deported? And then mm. I, you know, I had to clear up that conversation and say, well, I'm not going to get deported because I'm a citizen. And that yeah, caused that even more confusion, more confusion, right? Because they were like, well, then why are you so passionate about this? So I think like, I why, why really, are you not? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Like, why do you have to, just because it's not your fight, why do you have to, you know, be so like the correlation there? Um, so I really had to think about it and think about why, why this, this was a passion of mine. And um, I can remember whenever my dad was studying for his citizenship test, that we would study together. So I really remember sitting in our living room, which was also our kitchen and also our dining room, all in one area. And because my dad had less than a third grade education, we were on the same level of writing and reading mm. at this point, whenever he was studying for his citizenship exam. So I remember him tracing the letters and not necessarily comprehending what he was learning, but just mem memorizing, right? So then I remember him taking his citizenship exam and passing. And as I bring that up to my mom, those, those memories, she tells me that her story when she took her citizenship exam as well and how she remembers not knowing the answer, but taking a chance and just doing her best, right? And that opportunity was given to her because she went to a church who told her that she may be eligible for the Amnesty Act. So had my mom not been attending this church that had a person who could provide resources, who knew what was happening within that community and provided her with this information that my mom didn't even know she was eligible for, would I even be in the position that I'm in now? Mm, so I think that once my mom told me how she began the process of becoming a citizen I think that's where I recognized that I was able to provide those resources and that assistance to other people as well, because someone did that for my parents. I think for me, the biggest takeaway from that story is the power that we have individually to help somebody else by just being willing to help and to listen to take that time. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it changes the whole trajectory of your parents' life and then therefore yours. That's yes. really inspirational. Yes, definitely. Do, and... do, you, do you mind, Tracy, to kind of emphasizing or, or discussing? I remember at, uh, a couple of years ago, you came to a conference and you were just talking about the influence of your mother and your, your parents and kind of uh, how, the, how they impacted you uh, in your, 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 your younger years. So do you mind discussing a little bit about that, like what it was like going to school and some of the challenges that you faced and how your your family and your mother helped you through some of those times yeah so um and and these are the stories that 
I recognize those kind of hidden lines as an adult now. Um, But whenever I decided to go to the community college, it was just by chance. It wasn't that I, you know, had this great ACT score or knew what I was going to study. I, someone again with a resource happened to go to my school and said, hey, you are eligible for this scholarship um, because of your GPA alone. And I'm thinking, okay, perfect. Let's sign up. Let's do this. <laughs> and um, I didn't know what college was. I didn't know what a community college versus a university was. My parents absolutely did not either. So they told me that I could get um, my college courses for free at TCC as long as I maintain my GPA. So um, in that conversation, um, so I think it's the power of words, right? And also the power of education, because in this same meeting, they told me that I was eligible for this scholarship because of all of the things that I was not, right? Um, So because you don't have anyone who's been to college because of your school district, because of your neighborhood, and basically telling me like I was incapable. Stats show that you're not going to make it. Stats show that you're going to drop out. Stats show that X, Y, Z. So everything that I, that the world was already telling me that I wasn't able to do. Right. But because I had rarely heard that I could or what I was capable of, I just agreed with this person. And I said, you know what? You are probably right because no one has ever told me that I could go to college. This is the first time you're telling me that I may not make it, which is why you're here to help me. Um, so I go home. I tell my parents that I'm going to college And my parents say, absolutely not. You are not going to college. And I'm wondering why. And my dad looked me in the face and said, why would someone give you something for free for doing what you're supposed to be doing? Hmm. So he was basically saying that I'm supposed to get good grades. Why would someone reward me for the reason why I'm going to school? Um, so because he was not from the United States, he wasn't used to having those opportunities, right? In Mexico, no se dan esas oportunidades. So he found it very strange. And I think it's also that, um, he was not, he did not trust the system. He did not trust like the government, right? (laughs) Because of the corruption that he had experienced. So he was kind of like, it's a trap. You're just going to get into these loans. And it wasn't that he thought, I don't think he ever even questioned if I was capable of finishing or obtaining a degree. His concern was, I'm going to be trapped and I'm going to have all these loans and how are we going to pay for it? So I told my parents, I don't know, but I'm just going to try it. And if uh, if it works out, cool. And if it doesn't, well, at least we said we tried so 
I go to college. I don't know how this happened. I don't remember enrolling. I don't remember getting an ID <laughs> or like my number or them asking me what I wanted to study. I have no idea how that happened at all. But I showed up um, and then I realized that I don't know anything. I don't know basic math. I don't know how to write. Um, I know how to read. I definitely don't know science or geography. So I'm taking not my basics, but my, oh man, I can't even remember what they're called. The, the things you take before the remedial courses. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm taking, I'm going to college to take remedial courses. Um, and even those were so challenging for me. And that's when I knew there's no way that I'm going to be able to do this. Um, I saw my friends dropping out the, the, all three of us that decided to go to TCC, two of them dropped out. And I remember going to um, a carne asada and all my family was there and they were so excited to see me because they thought that I was going to college and they're watching the music videos and they're like, oh, that's what Tracy's probably doing, like partying and going to, <laughs> you know, like the frat houses and the sororities <laughs> and, you know, having the best time of her life. And that's not what I was doing. I was a commuter student and I would go to campus, take a class and drive back home, not know how to do my homework. Um so then my niece tells me at that party, hey, so how's college? And that was the moment that I really told myself, like, man, I already told everyone I can't stop now. Um, although I had already told my mom that I was going to drop out. And my mom's response was, that's perfectly fine. You tried it. There's no one that I can ask to help you. So if this is as far as you've come, that's okay with me. So she wasn't belittling me. She was telling me that she did not know how to help me. And, but because I had told my family members that I was in college, I felt like I could not give up. So the same niece who asked me, how I was doing in college, you know, fast forward years later, she graduated from OU as well with her teaching degree. So now she's a teacher at Union Public Schools. Ah, amazing. That, that's a lot to, to unpack. That is yeah. um, a, a, a definite different process. Um, I remember I remember growing up, like there was no question about mm. like my grandparents, my grandparents were the ones that were constantly pushing me to after high school, you're going to go to college. And for a long time, I didn't even think that I didn't think that people didn't go. Wow. <laughs> I just thought, I thought everybody went. And so, <laughs> um, I mean, cause it was just, you know, that was constantly what we talked about and discussed is that you were going to go to college after high school, just period. Like that's mm. just what everybody does. But at the same time, though, I knew that I didn't have any family members that had graduated from a four-year university either. Okay. So I, I don't know why I was necessarily confused, but I just still thought regardless, like, this is what you do. This is what everybody does. And so, you know, and, and of course, much younger then and have matured since then. But then you do learn of so many different stories of people's paths getting to uh, 
to getting their their bachelor's degree and or master's degree and or doctoral degree as well. But I love yeah. this story though because it's so inspirational because it really goes back to like not only like si se puede pero si se pudo, you know? Like si. I mean, <laughs> it si. was so incredible. And so after you were in there and like really overcoming these obstacles, um, I mean, you obviously did because you got your master's degree as well in human relations from the University of Oklahoma. What what was the rest of that journey like after you had? kind of that encouragement still from from your family members, um, but then also kind of that realization, like, I guess maybe I don't want to let anybody down and I, I need to continue and move forward doing this. Yeah. So then after TCC, it was time to move over to OU, which is in Norman. And culturally, you know, women don't move out and I'm the baby, so I'm supposed to take care of my parents. Um, so when it was time to move, my parents definitely did not understand. They said, why do you need to keep going? You already finished here. You graduated twice with your high school diploma and with your community college, your associate's degree. Why do you need to keep going? And again, the answer was, I don't know. I'm, I've been given this opportunity. I really don't know what this means, but I need to go to OU. And my parents bribed me. I'll buy you a car. You know, you can stay <laughs> home. You don't have to work. And I'm thinking, and I would tell them as well, like, what was the point of me getting my associate's degree um, if I cannot continue my my journey of what I want to be when I grow up ultimately. And I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up, but that's how I <laughs> phrased it. Me neither. Right? It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I finally convinced them because we did an OU tour and it's the first time that they had seen a university because, I, you know, TU is in Tulsa and so is ORU, but they're so expensive. And oh, so expensive I mean, private, yes. It was like very unrealistic versus, I don't know, OU campus, I guess because we don't have the uh, the gate, it's not gated like <laughs> TU is maybe, <laughs> um, it just seemed like a more open, happier place to be. And we did a tour with my family. And I think that's where that pride came in of, wow, this is what a university looks like. I understand why she needs to move here and then obtain her bachelor's degree. Um, and then it was hilarious because my parents dropped me off at my apartment and they were getting ready to leave. And the like common area said, oh, we have hot dogs and a pizza and chips and come hang out before you leave. So we go to the common area and there's a pool party happening and it's like this fraternity. So there's all these shirtless guys. <laughs> and then my parents are like, oh my God, what did we do? I can't believe that we just dropped off our daughter <laughs> in another city. <laughs> with you know all of this distraction and things happening but yeah they weren't so secure after they left me there um but it was a challenge of then the it was the abnormal things that my parents could not comprehend so my mom would call me at 9 p.m where are you are you home are you going to bed and it was final. Sometimes I was like, mom, I can't go home. I have to study. I'm still at the library. There's all these people at the library and she would not believe me. And then other people saying like, oh, well, she's probably out partying and she's, 
not doing her homework and she's just telling you that she's at the library, but that's not the case. But then the people who are telling her these things had never experienced a university life themselves. So I would tell my mom, you just have to trust me. I know that this it doesn't seem normal because it's not something I would be doing at home. But here on a college campus, campus is open 24 hours. We sleep during the day. We study at night. You know, it's irrational at times, I know, but we have to do what we have to do to, to pass our finals. Um, and that was a challenge because my mom wanted me to be home every weekend. So that affected my grades. It affected my mental health. It affected <clears throat> not being able to really balance my life. And it wasn't until that second year that I had to tell my mom, like, I cannot, I understand that this is challenging. It's challenging for the both of us, but this isn't for a long time, as long as I can focus and get it out of the way. Um, so it was definitely a challenge to convince my mom that some weekends I needed to stay in Norman to study, um, to meet up with my groups if we did have group work. Um, and just how, how difficult it was and to not blow off any more time and money and energy, because at this point my parents were still helping me pay for college. I did have a couple scholarships, but it wasn't enough for me to say, oh, if I just mess up this class, like I can take it again next semester, right? It was like, no, this is really expensive. And then you get the university emails. Congratulations, we had the best year ever. By the way, we are going to raise tuition another $1,000 this year. Yes, I remember um, <laughs> Yes, yes. Every year it was like, oh, we did great. Cool, you're charging me more. So <laughs> I'm thinking the longer I stay here, the more expensive it's going to be. Um, so finally, I made it to graduation. And I remember it was like March of um, my graduation year, I was still telling my mom not to tell everybody that I was graduating because I still wasn't sure. And <laughs> the thing was, I was doing great in my classes. It was just, I couldn't believe it. And I was still just doubting myself. Like, is it possible? Am I really graduating from the University of Oklahoma? There's no mm -hmm. way. So come April comes around. Oh, what are we doing for your graduation? We're going to tell everybody. And I'm just like, mom, no, don't tell anybody. Please, please. Because I couldn't, I just could not believe it. There was no reason for me to even be afraid that I was going to graduate because it was going to happen. I just could not convince myself. I think until like graduation day, it finally hit me. And even then I was still afraid. I was like, no, there's no way I have to I need to check my grades. I don't think I did it. I may need to come back. Um, so yeah, it was just my husband and I look, think back at when we were at OU and how challenging it was. And sometimes we still can't believe that we got our bachelor's degrees. That's, that's so incredible. You had that inner saboteur though, really attacking you. And not letting yourself believe that you were really going to accomplish this. Yes, yeah. And you sound much more uh, responsible than most students. <laughs> I think your you, your your mother had reason to be concerned. Did you ever? Do you know about the the bar in Norman called the library? Yes, I, I did I go to the library. That's like you, you got the, the irresponsible kids at the library drinking, calling their parents saying, I'm at the library. I can't go home. 
I got to study right. at the library with my friends. You're like, no, but I'm very lucky. I'm in the library. Yes, yes, yes. I did go once. I was like, okay, now I understand. <laughs> for the experience. Yes, for the experience. That's the, yeah. fun, the fun library. The fun library. Yeah, I did not experience the fun library very much. <laughs> It's not as quiet in the other one. <laughs> no, definitely not. Yeah, but um, then I I got I went I attended the ring ceremony with my parents and you know they met uh, the president of the university and um, we went to homecoming together. So they really got to experience the whole university culture and. At my after my graduation ceremony, um, my dad, as we were taking a photo, he asked me when I was going to get my master's degree, and I don't know how mm. he know he knew what that was, but my dad was the one who challenged me to continue, and when he was the one after you know the first one at the community college level, he was like, "No, you're not going," and then moving to Norman bachelor's degree, he was like, no, there's no need. And then to graduate with my bachelor's degree and for him to ask me when I was getting my master's degree, that was powerful. Wow. What, what an awesome gift though, because of your, your intrinsic like motivation and your dedication to this, like you allowed them to also have just this unforgettable experience of not just understanding like what that process looks like and how valuable this is going to be for you, but to, have your parents get to see their youngest daughter just shine and be so successful. I just, it's really, really inspiring. Um, and I'm just so excited to, to hear this story. And, and as I hear you explaining this, I can't help but consider other counselors that are in the pre-K 12 system or um, even in college uh, or community colleges, rather universities, et cetera, having students come in because as you were telling this entire story from The beginning, um, like you just, you know, recapped and explained with how your 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 mom and dad felt um, about this from the beginning and moving all the way through, and about wanting you to be there on the weekends. And you were the youngest daughter, and you've already done this, so why go? There are cultural components and connections to that. Um, yes. What 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 are those for our listeners? So so if if I am a if I am a counselor or um, in the pre K 12 system or helping students in community colleges or university. What should I know about like your specific story and those cultural connections that were happening that you were combating between the life that you were living as a university student, but also still wanting to be so integrated into your family? Because I know how important that is, especially in the Hispanic Latinx culture, familia. It's not like, you know, everyone expects us to like, and we're just out at 18. <laughs> It's very, very right. different. And that's what I really love. And it's, it's, it's one of the components that I just really love and appreciate about the Hispanic Latinx culture is like the importancia de la familia. And I think it's so important to remember that. But what are those cultural components that you were dealing with through that, through that if, process? If I might jump in and just kind of add to additional question that I think ties in also, Tracy, if you could. Sure. Just for listeners, I, I think you have a very powerful story and you've really focused on discussing, you know, from end of high school on, and I think Kelly has alluded to this, some just kind of to highlight your experience before that time, you know, growing up as a child and 
clearly you're, uh, you, you have uh, motivation, intrinsic motivation, but just I, I, as Kelly has mentioned, your, your story is so inspirational. And I think that to leave out that K through 12 experience is, uh, would be a disservice to the listeners. So in light of what Kelly's talking about with your counselors, but also your teachers, like who, who had the impact and, um, what kind of encouragement might you be able to give to others that are in the K-12 uh, system now that have a similar background to yours? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for the questions. So um, this is my first time working in the K-12 um, area. And now that I am in the field, I think back of the type of student I was in K-12 and what could have, what better methods could have been implemented for me and my family. And a lot of that is cultural. So I know that we talk a lot about this attendance component, right? Like lack of attendance, so many truancies. Um, And listen, I was that student. I was. And let me tell you why. Because my mom worked night shifts, So my mom worked from 3 p.m. to 1 in the morning. Um, So I would get on the bus. I would uh, would get in the bus in the morning, come home. And then if I was lucky, if the bus was on time, I could say goodbye to my mom. So then I would tell my mom that I wanted to stay home sometimes from school so I could spend time with her. But was the school district only saying that my mom was a bad person because I wasn't going to school? Because for me and for my mom, it was important to have that time together that I needed to make my day better the next day. But was I being punished for the wrong reasons, right? So I think that's why I take my role so important because, and I'm so passionate about it because I want to check in on my families and ask them, what is going on at home? Is it because you're tired? Is it because you don't have a home? Is it because you don't have utilities? Can you take a shower? You know, um, was there a conflict at home? What is happening? Because we want them to be at school, definitely. But what can we do to make those things better? So I was that student who was missing school because I wanted to spend time with my mom. I was that student who would tell my parents, oh, we're not doing anything today anyway. We're just watching a movie. And that was not a lie. Um, I was that student who wasn't learning anything but was getting good grades because I would sit quietly and not cause disruption in the classroom. And that did affect me long term um, because I didn't learn anything. However, not all of that was my parents' fault, which I feel like is what happens that we blame these minority communities because they they didn't obtain the education, right? Because they don't know, because they don't prioritize. But in reality is 
our families respect the teachers the most because they are educated and they know what's right. So it's so it's so complicated as I reflect on, you know, how we categorize these quote unquote bad kids because I was one of those bad kids. Ah, ya me tiene. Goodness. Mira, apenas te conozco, pero te quiero muchísimo. I'm so grateful <laughs> for you to like, you know, to, to share this. And I'm, you know, I'm tearing up with you, <laughs> not because I've had the experience, but I've worked with students that have been in those situations and that it's that advocacy. And so it's, it's coming from different places, but thank you for your advocacy. And thank you for being that loud supporter and for asking those questions and for working with our families. Because I think that there's a whole lot about understanding, you know, culture and the role that it plays and how we have such a, a it's a it's a dominant culture that has created the 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 education system and it just i even i feel like it just it's so rigid and we we, we don't we, we can't find the flexibility or the creativity to be able to serve all of our students and understanding like these situations that are impacting them so much that it makes it hard for them to want to come and learn about figurative language or fractions whenever yes. they just want to be able to spend time with their mother or their father. Right. And I, and I always bring that, you know, up in conversations whenever I'm talking with, with other teachers is about like, we have to be really considerate about what we are doing and what our actions are, what our words are that we're not culturally destructive because if we're in the teacher lounge and we're saying like, you know, those parents, now they never come. I'm like, well, right. those parents are sometimes the one working two or three jobs that have multiple kids that are doing everything and are much more engaged in what's happening in their child's life. We just have created a, a system where if they don't come between five and seven on this one Tuesday evening for the parent conference, <laughs> right. they're bad. You know, right. and I'm just like, that's right. not it. And you're missing, you're missing the, the asset. You're missing the incredible vessel of the human that is right there in front of us. You know, someone's baby, someone's child. Yes. Um, yeah. It really highlights to the, uh, you know, culturally the, what it's viewed as good and bad. And Tracy, I hear you and internalizing the, you know, European, view of good and bad by calling yourself uh, that you that you were that bad student and i think there are a lot of people a lot of students out there whether listening or not that feel feel that same way they they believe because of what somebody else has told them that they're they're bad right. they're a bad student how did yes. how do you overcome that how do you like recognize because clearly you're not a bad student uh you were just internalized what people were telling you were you were you're obviously a, a good person and you've been successful and made it all the way through uh achieved your master so uh i think just really powerful stories at what point did you like recognize that you you have it you have it in you to be to be you know, i mean even to be the the good student in the eyes of uh, kind of european culture yeah, so being the good student meant not speaking out meant um trying to be like the teacher's pet. And I guess back in the day, whenever they didn't have all the announcements like they do now, it meant the teacher writing a note and sending it to the office or writing a note and sending it to the other teacher, pretexting time, I guess, if you can say. Um, <laughs> but it was just basically, I don't, it, because honestly, it wasn't the rigor. It was not, oh, it's that she's so good at this, at 
um, writing essays or she's so good at reading or any of those things. I guess it was just staying out of the teacher's way and being the helper. Um, but it was never learning. It was never, oh, she's gonna, she's gonna make it or she's gonna go beyond high school. Like that was never the conversation. I never heard that ever anywhere. Yeah, it just I feels so backwards that. from what you would expect. Like, because you know, like I never want to hear me like I was I was considered good because I stood out of the way and was quiet. <laughs> like, yes, yes. And it's so stifling. Like, is that really what we want for our students to feel? Yes, exactly. <laughs> especially ones that are already Kelly. You can't live in that environment. <laughs> Mike, you know me too well. Absolutely not. No. <laughs> yes, yes. And I think that's why I'm not that way anymore. Um, but I can't tell you that I had a teacher that said, oh, you're going to do great things or what do you plan to do after you graduate? I never had those conversations. Um, and I remember actually texting on Facebook or sending a message on Facebook to one of my favorite teachers in middle school. She was a great teacher. And uh, once I went to college, I checked in with her and I told her, Hey, I just want to thank you for being my teacher. Like I'm at the community college now. And she was like, Oh, sweetheart, I appreciate it. And that was my first year. It was probably the worst year I ever had. I was like, okay. <laughs> um, and I've never been a teacher, but I have heard that that first year is really difficult. Um, but just reaching out to my teachers now as an adult and all of them admitting to me that they didn't teach me anything. Wow. So I'm not, you know, I'm not making it up whenever I would tell my mom, can I stay home? We're not doing anything today. Because it was true. We weren't doing anything. Um, but then I get penalized because I didn't show up to school. Well, so, I think it's interesting uh, learning uh, more at home. A, a little, mom. yeah. That's why I guess point I was going to make that's ironic. I, I keep hearing you say, you know, you're a bad student that you weren't learning anything, but you you are bilingual. Um, yeah. Unlike many people, and so uh, you you were learning things. It just wasn't what the school was expecting you to learn. Correct. And when I was with my mom, I would go to doctor's appointments with her. So then I was translating. We would go mm -hmm. pay the bills together. Um, you know, she would, we were always doing that because she was always busy. We would go to the bank. We would go directly to, you know, the Cox place to go pay for internet or not the internet. I'm sorry. We did not have internet, <laughs> um, <laughs> the TV. So doing all those things with my mom, cooking with her, going grocery shopping, getting ready for her day, having a conversation with her. So I was doing more with my mom. You are correct, Taylor. I was doing more with my mom than I was at school because at school I was just being the helper, um, organizing the papers or mm. taking a note somewhere. At, at some point I was an office aide for I don't know how many years. And as an office aide, I just sat there next to the phone waiting for the phone to ring. And it rarely rang. Um, so that was like a complete hour of my life at school <laughs> where I wasn't doing anything. So yeah, I, I, I think your emo emotional intelligence is sky high, regardless of how well you did in school. And I think <laughs> that for one has carried you a long way. But I mean, it's so incredible to hear your story. I'm just curious, like what, what 
motivated to keep going without teachers or sometimes even your family. Like it seems like kind of did it all on your own. Like pulled, pull, as they say, pulled yourself up by your bootstraps and <laughs> you, you kind of made it happen for yourself. What, what motivated you to keep going? So first motivation was my niece asking me what, how college was. Um, because I think I was a little bit embarrassed to drop out at that point. Um, I didn't want to disappoint her. And if I did drop out, I would have to tell everyone that I didn't finish. So that was the first one. Then I found organizations that with people who look like me. So again, the cultural component of I need to find people who know what it's like to have your mom calling you, telling you that you need to go pick up some tortillas before you come home or come home because you need to eat dinner. Um, so then I joined an organization, the Hispanic Student Association, where there were people who looked like me that had similar experiences, but they were ahead of me. So they were almost graduating. So that definitely helped me um, see where I could be. So it was that comparison of, wow, they made it. And we are similar, similar backgrounds. We both had to take these courses. It's challenging for the both of us. So I think it's maybe possible because it was the first time that I had seen someone who actually had some answers. Um, so then joining HSA and being involved, then that led to this activism of what's happening in the United States with our undocumented populations and just the community of Tulsa. Because I remember it was that bill um, where people were essentially self-deporting because of fear of deportation and these anti-immigrant mm -hmm. bills that was happening. So... That led me to doing training in Texas and Washington, D.C., connecting with United We Dream and meeting other people across the U.S. who were also getting multiple degrees, their bachelor's, their master's, their PhDs, and they were undocumented. So I think that's where I had my privilege check of I can do this and I should do this because I have resources to do this because I am a citizen. So... There's no excuse, basically. Um, again, not fearful that my parents were going to be deported because that was not going to happen. It was not going to happen to my siblings. It was not going to happen to me. So then I really had to figure out what were my barriers. And if the challenge was that it was going to be difficult, where, well, things are difficult for everyone. College is hard. Um, and that wasn't enough for me to drop out, especially when I saw people. I mean, I had a friend, Julieta from Texas, who she went to her senator in Washington, D.C., and she ripped her degree in half in front of her senator because she did not have a social and she could not use her degree. So I'm thinking there's, you know, this is this is first world problems for me. I have mm. the opportunity. I need to keep going forward to be able to provide these resources for other people and to provide a good life for myself, for my family, and to make my family proud. They must be so proud now. <laughs> yeah, they still don't know what I do, but they are proud. 
<laughs> I'm sure that they are glowing <laughs> with orgullo and pride for for you. you oh, thank you. You, I, I, please hear me when I say I'm just so thankful for this podcast to be able to meet people like you. Um, and it's interesting how I've met so many people from all over um, the, the the nation right now, and then you are right down the street <laughs> meeting you here for the first time. Um, but I, I hear I, I hear your story, and um, I know that it's a very unique and special one. But I know that it's also very similar, and there's a lot of um, comparisons um, and just similarities that other people experience. And hearing about your, your your parents being involved and engaged in what's going on in school, um, and considering everything that you've shared so far, and also in your current role, what what do you do? that you feel like are some really amazing, great practices um, for engaging your your families or for communicating with them that someone else hearing this um, in your role, or even not just an educator in general, could take and adopt themselves and implement to help support their families, documented sure. or not. Yeah, yeah. So I think whenever I share with you how passionate I am about my role and how I aspire to be the advocate that I wish I had in my own K through 12 journey. And a lot of that is just making sure that someone spoke the language, the heritage language and was available at any moment. Um, and sometimes my parents did not go to the school because they didn't know if someone was going to understand the question. Mm hmm. And when there's that barrier, that immediate barrier, and they're not comfortable with the idea of if I get off right now, will this person who will be in the front office, will it be the person who is bilingual or not? Will it be the person that's rude to me? Will it be the person who is frustrated because I don't understand the question or I can't answer the question? Um, so first and foremost, we make sure that we have someone on staff who is able to understand and make that conversation inclusive, but also that we want them to be asking these questions. It's not a burden. Um, sometimes I get text messages from parents and they'll say, I'm so sorry to bother you. And I have to remind them, this is my job. I want you to talk <laughs> to me. I want you to question something that you were not pleased with, um, whether it be disciplinary or it just wasn't enough information. Please ask your questions. So sometimes that's what parents, they want to know that they're not a burden because they are fearful that they're going to get kicked out or that you're going to treat their child differently or that um, their child is going to get in trouble. So I think if my parents had, if, if they knew that there was someone on campus, whenever I was in K through 12, that was going to understand them, um, I think that they would have been a little more involved. Um, and I say that because my two older siblings, they were constantly in trouble all of the time. And my mom was always in the office. And that's where she had to really, you know, strengthen her English because she wanted to know where my brother was and why he was being suspended. Um, but there was never anyone who ever spoke Spanish to be able to assist. Sometimes it was a matter of 
pulling out other students, but then can you really do that for privacy purposes? No, um, that's the answer. No. Correct. <laughs> not, and you not, shouldn't. So everyone listening, don't do that. Right. <laughs> right. And you shouldn't. You shouldn't be pulling out kids who should be learning in the classroom to go do a job that you should be hiring for, uh, a position that should be filled. So had that been the case, I think my parents would have been more involved. Um and a part of that, too, when you speak about parent-teacher conferences, because on the report card I had straight A's, my mom assumed that I, she didn't have to go to the parent-teacher conferences. Mm. For what? You're already telling me that she has good grades. So And you're the teacher, and I respect you and trust you. So Exactly, exactly. But then, you know, they say, oh, well, Tracy's mom didn't come to parent-teacher conferences. She must not care. <laughs> You feel like you can't win for losing sometimes. Yes, I know. <laughs> you know, I, Tracy, I, I, uh, I, uh, it's sad to say, but I think that there are probably other students out there right now in K through 12 that are experiencing similar things to what you did. I know some school districts, some schools have come a long way and, and, you know, for, for instance, your, your school district that has hired you to help make things different for students of similar backgrounds as yours. But what would you say if, if there were a student listening or a, a parent of a child? Like, well, if you could go back, and I know there's a, a limited amount you can, can do as a student, but if you could go back and change anything about the way you um, – you uh, approached life and your education in the K-12 system, what what would you do different or how would you encourage students to respond to that environment if they're currently kind of living in a similar situation to what you were when you were growing up? Yeah, I think that I would tell the students to find what other, whatever teacher they um feel the most comfortable with, or if it's their principal, if it's their coach, if they do have access to the superintendent, like our students, because we are a small school district, they have access to the superintendent, um, to bring up those conversations and say, uh, my parents have a question, but I need someone who speaks Spanish. Because the answer then is not, well, you speak Spanish. Can you translate for your mom so that we can have this meeting? No, I need someone else who is going to be able to moderate this conversation and to be able to answer the questions for my parents. Mm -hmm. um, and I think had I told the principal I need, my mom wants to speak with you and I need someone who speaks Spanish. However, I think in that time, what they, what that principal would have probably told me is, well, the, like, like I said, well, you speak Spanish. So can you do it for your mom? You tell her what I'm saying and you tell me what she's saying. And I think that if there are some students in school districts that bring it up to teachers or principals or superintendents, that may be the answer they get. But we just need to be adamant, as well as adults, to say we need someone who is it is their job to handle these conversations because they have they can be prepared with better answers. Um, the student is not stuck in the middle. Um, if, if you're talking negatively about the student directly and they have to tell their parent, like, how's that going to work out? <laughs> <laughs> and we will be right back. Are you ready to take your K-12 multilingual programs to new heights? 
Look no further than the experts at Kelly B's Consulting. We're not just consultants, we're partners in education with a passion for empowering students and enriching your classrooms. At Kelly B's Consulting, we understand the unique cultural and linguistic needs of your diverse student population. Our team of experienced educators will work alongside you, tailoring strategies that transform your multilingual programs. Don't miss out on this opportunity. Visit www.kellybeesconsultingllc.com today to learn more and schedule your consultation. Kelly B's Consulting, shaping the future of K-12 multilingual education across the nation. Your success is our commitment. Contact us now and let's start building a brighter tomorrow together. And now, back to the show. So thinking about, uh, you know, you, 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 in your school district, uh, students might have the opportunity or in other districts and metro area might have the opportunity to go ask for somebody that uh, speaks Spanish to help with translation interpretation instead of making the student do that. Um, but thinking about districts in um, rural areas or areas that may not have a full-time employed personnel that is bilingual or maybe uh, they're speaking that they, they speak a language other than Spanish. Uh, obviously many school districts have languages other than Spanish as well and it's not always practical to have a uh, employed translator. In that regard, are you aware of services that uh, or companies that provide services that can help out in that regard to help ensure uh, that school districts are able to offer translators or interpreters uh, for those sort of situ situations? Yeah, so I know that there are some people who do contract work. Um, let's say there's a school district that said, it's not within our budget. Um, however, we do have a stipend or some other dollars allotted for that. I think it's worth trying it out um, because if you allot, you know, a day or one day of the week or let's say one entire week or a month or whatever you can basically afford, then you are telling the families and your demographics that you value their input, you value their language, and that you want them to show up to campus for events if possible. Um, and I think that alone speaks volumes to where a parent would say, I'm going to go on another day because I'm not able to go on this Wednesday when they have a translator, or I'm going to make sure that I ask off from work that day to show up. Um, because they see that you are trying to be inclusive and that you value their language. And sometimes it is intimidating because I hear that component of, well, we're just not going to understand what they're saying. So that's why we don't offer these services. But in this day and age, whenever we have so many bilingual students, multilingual students, it's something that we need to be investing in um, for the better of our kids. How many resources or dollars do we get per child that is bilingual? And are we, are we using those funds to then help their families as well? So I think we may need to restructure, reorganize what we're investing in and where we can be investing in if we really want the buy-in from our families. Um, and I think 
when we do ask our students to be the translators in those difficult conversations, that pushes the child further to say, I don't want to speak Spanish because I don't want to be stuck being the translator. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to be the one who tells my parents bad news or even good news. There are some kids that cringe whenever you tell them positive things and they can just they just can't handle it because maybe it's something that they've never heard within um it's something that maybe they're not used to hearing, right? So I'll give you the example of when my dad told me, "Why are you being rewarded for having good grades instead of saying, that's awesome. You got a scholarship. Congratulations. Right? He was like, no, <laughs> that doesn't happen. You're supposed to be doing that. So I imagine if there was a teacher saying good things about me to my mom, I have to translate that. First of all, I'm taking in the compliment. I'm trying to figure out these feelings, but then I have to translate that to my parent and then the reaction of my parent, I'm not really sure what that's going to be. It may also be, well, yeah, I've raised you to be <laughs> this respectful person. Um, and that's not fair for the child to be stuck in the middle of those conversations. That's <clears throat> so true. And a whole lot of districts sometimes don't um, have the the resources that are you know, required for, you know, like we were talking about communication and availability are so important. And that would yeah. have helped, you know, your parents and, and parents that, that, that we are able to join in this education system today, that they're not able to be as involved if we don't have that communication and we don't have that availability. And so with that, I also just, for the listeners, I want to bring um, uh, to, to, to your attention that if you need any support in trying to leverage this on a legal side, that with the U.S. Department of Justice, the Civil Rights Division, as well as the U.S. Department of Education, the Office for Civil Rights Division, that there is a fact sheet for information. Um, I don't love this term, but it's what it's called. Information for limited English proficient parents and guardians okay. and for schools and school districts that communicate with them. And it reminds us that, yes, schools must communicate information in a language in which they can understand that is reasonable. Spanish is very reasonable, for example, yeah. along with some other languages. But those are things like registration and enrollment, yes. um, language assistance programs, report cards, uh, student discipline policies, gifted and talented programs, uh, grievances procedures, uh, et cetera. There's just so, there's so much parent-teacher conferences, right? And that we, right. we have that legal requirement, but it's also a moral imperative, I believe. Right. Yeah, disability hearings. I mean, so many things that are. But then you also, um, some people may say, well, well, we can just put it in Google and then translate it and then post it or put it on our website. And sometimes, <laughs> you know, especially in K through 12, we use these academic terms that are not easily translated. I mean, the other day we were talking to students and sometimes because my office is inside of the high school, I'll invite some of the students to come and I ask them, what's the best way to say this to where your parents are going to understand? We were having a conversation about early release the other day. How do you say early release? What does early release mean? And most of the time you have to explain what early release is, why, and um Whereas for someone who only speaks English, maybe like that makes sense. Early release. What did you get from early release? Early release from what? <laughs> right. So then, 
that's why they're like, well, you can't just put it in Google Translate. No, because our parents have never heard something like this before, especially our our new ones, pre-K, kindergarten, who have never, um, if it's their first child, they're not sure what this means. So having that that view and perception of take it from a, from a parent who maybe didn't go to school themselves. Um, and that's not always the case, but even if they did go to school, our system in the United States is completely different than those of other countries. So they may be educated. They just don't understand our system here. Um, but yeah, it's just the, the, the complexity of, some things that we're like we're having a title one meeting we're having a meeting on professional development all of those things that parents may not understand you're right i mean even if the translation is absolutely perfect sometimes the conceptualization of it isn't there just because my background and my experience and my education system is just vastly different from the way it's conducted here perhaps yes yes uh, you know, I, I'm, I, I am a school nerd. I love it. I watch board meetings, <laughs> even if <laughs> I'm in the district where I work. But I, I was watching a board meeting last night, and I made, uh, I made the comment to my partner. I said, "You know, what's interesting is that every time I watch a board meeting or go to a board meeting or anything, there's never a need for an interpreter because mm-hmm. no one, you know. So sometimes it's like those questions like, "Who's not here?" And I just think it's really interesting. So, but I mean, so just back to your point, out of all of these different types of meetings that we have, whether it be a board meeting um, and there's off, there's opportunities for public comment, that there's not, I, you know, you, some of those voices are just not heard. And I just think it's so important, again, to remember that, like, there is so much that we can do with family engagement, but really that, that piece of communication and making sure that there are pathways to have open um, and two-sided conversations where we're really listening and not just speaking to people, I think is so important as well. Yes. Yes, definitely. And just to know that their language is valued really goes a long way. Exactly. And, you know, and so back to your point about Google Translate, you know, we would never want to send out information in in poor English because it's an academic setting. So we don't want to do that in Spanish either. Plus, you want to value that language and that culture. And yeah. I was in I was in a school not too long ago, um, and they had they had you know they they did so much to make sure that they had a lot of information in both languages in English and in Spanish, and as I was walking through the school, it was they had meet the teacher, and so I saw these signs up, and it said you know uh, like meet Miss Morales right, uh-huh. but then in uh-huh. Spanish it said satisfacer uh-huh. Morales. Because of that, because like to satisfy, mm-hmm. like to meet the requirement or to satisfy, yeah. I was like, you know, like satisfy Ms. Morales is not the same as meet Ms. Morales. And so you got to be careful about like, right. what is like, what is that context there? And so, right. yeah, con cuidado con Google Translate, y'all. Sí, Just be careful. Sí, sí. No se confíen. Yeah. We had a coach who he got new bats for his team, uh, his softball team, and he was going to talk about how they were awarded this grant and they received new equipment, which included bats. And then in Google Translate, it said that agarraron nuevos murciélagos. So <laughs> like the animal, right? The so, uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Again. And then um, he's like, oh, I didn't realize how complicated this was. I said, yeah, it literally translated to the animal, not to the equipment for softball. 
<laughs> I think too, a, too, too though, I would say uh, it's important when people in districts hear this not to think that uh, I think you could go to the opposite extreme of uh, that they'd be worried that they're not going to get it right, so they don't try at all. Mm-hmm. So I think it's good, uh, definitely important to heighten the awareness and for people to know that Google Translate or Chat GPT is not the answer. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> But that also there are limitations and and giving it your best effort is better than nothing. Yeah, I agree. Um, I wanted to circle back around to a little bit of what we talked about in the beginning, just because I feel like you do have a lot of great um, experience and understanding with this and that maybe this can help somebody else. But um, I, you know, helping students after pre-K through 12 and going for their um, higher education um, in the Tulsa community specifically, and there might be other communities out there in the nation where Tulsa is very unique in the aspect that it does have um, Oral Roberts University, it does have Tulsa Community College, there is also the University of Tulsa, but there are no public universities within the Tulsa metropolitan area. Those are more in different areas of the state and most specifically in the Oklahoma City metropolitan area. Tulsa also has Tulsa Higher Education Consortium that helps students going from their pre-K through 12 classrooms to community college and helps follow them and then getting them from their associates to a bachelor's degree in another university. Um, Do you have any background knowledge with that that you might be able to share that would be a good support for people who are in similar situations, maybe most specifically for those in the Tulsa area here in Oklahoma? Yeah, so I sometimes feel bad for not moving back to Tulsa because Tulsa needs a lot of um, work and a lot of support. We always talk about that, yes. Yeah, yeah, okay, so it's not just me. It's not just you. It's our hearts are there, you know, I get it. Me, uh huh, yeah. um, But I want you here. Oklahoma City needs a (laughs) Well, thank you. And, you know, it's good to be wanted somewhere. Um, But that's not to say that I don't feel guilty not sharing these resources in Tulsa um, because it's just so necessary from my experience of is TU really going to be a good setting for me? And honestly, absolutely not. It was not going to work out for me. Um, I did know some students who went to TU who went to great schools in Texas though. So they were, they were set up, you know, they were going to be engineers. They always knew they were going to be engineers and that just was not me. Um, I actually remember going to, I was at TU and I was hanging out with a friend and we were in the parking lot. And I was dropping them off and the security came up to our car and he was like, let me see your IDs. Do you belong to this campus? And I just freaked out and he did go to TU. So he was like, yeah, we're students here. He's like, well, let me see your IDs. And then I I feel like I just froze. And he said, well, hers is in her her, uh, apartment, but here's mine. So... After that, I just knew that it was not going to be a good place for me. I was never going to thrive there. I was never going to be accepted there. And maybe it was because it was a private private setting. Um, and I didn't want my parents to ha- ever have to be questioned if they were actually supposed to be on that campus. Um, so in terms of like resources and things that are happening in Tulsa, I do not know. The last time I know that was when Tulsa was inviting Akash and I to do professional development in 
Tulsa to their, you know, to Tulsa public schools um, and other surrounding areas like Broken Arrow. But besides that, I really don't know of resources. What, what, out of curiosity, what is the current status of aspiring Americans? I know Akash is like lives in D.C. now. So what's what's happening? Yeah. So after um, I left aspiring Americans, I know that um, they had assigned a new person through Scissor Tail. But then I think... I think scissor tail shut down or something or they didn't have funding anymore i so aspiring americans essentially does not exist from my understanding but even after we both left there was no more training it was just whatever was online that we had provided it's unfortunate you guys did such good work yeah it was very unfortunate that you know, it, we weren't being supported as much as we needed it to be. So we both needed to leave that environment. Well, I think I think that's good to remember that as 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 many great programs and associations and organizations that are out there, there's still so much work to be done because yeah. sometimes, you know, there's a, obvious situations where the reality is they don't always stay afloat. And so there's always continuous work to be done and just again, reflecting upon everything that you've shared with us so far. And it's, it's just, it, it's an incredible journey that you are sharing with us. And I thank you so much for that. And so I, I kind of want to ask my, this is for me, kind of my final question. Any, any thoughts that you really want to, to, to leave us with, but, but mostly how does this change the trajectory of what you want to do personally and professionally um, knowing that we just got to hear a little bit from your own <laughs> precious child. Um, and that, that's gotta be, there's gotta be, um, probably a very special connection between what you're doing, um, in your current position, um, in a school district, helping families, reflecting upon your past and where you are today. And how does that impact what you do, um, taking into consideration your, your, your precious child as well about, yeah. you know, in a few years to start being participating in this. Right. And I appreciate the questions. I appreciate the time um, because this also allows me to reflect even more whenever you ask those questions. I'm like, I don't know. I've never thought about that before. I'm living day by day and I'm thankful for the every challenge and opportunity that I've been given. So, for example, this position at Crooked Oak, working with families, which has always been, as they say, my bread and butter. I love working with families. Um, but then the challenge of working with homeless communities. Um, so our unhoused students and the transition and wraparound services, that was something that I had never experienced. I had worked with our Latino community, then with our undocumented populations. Then I worked with solely black males. Then we added black and uh, females and males. Then we added our, um, then, you know, I come over to Cricket Oak working through K with K through 12. I had previously worked in higher education only, then working with our homeless community. So I think I'm so grateful for every challenge and every opportunity that I get because I'm allowed to grow and learn. Um, but when it comes to my children, I think because I've been challenged and I've had the opportunity to advocate on so many different avenues and platforms and also really um, value that I am bilingual and that they are bilingual and hopefully multilingual. I just, I don't know. 
I, I just hope so much for them. So as Mateo's talking over here, he wants to answer the question as well. But I, I don't know how to answer that question. I feel like I don't want them to grow up. So maybe that's why I don't really think about it. I want them to stay babies forever. Um, but my, my husband, he really wants both of them to be engineers. So he tells them all the time, we're an engineer. This is an engineer. <laughs> and, uh, my daughter, whenever she's fixing something, she'll say, I can fix it, Bobby, because I'm an engineer. So then I think that he, he could probably answer that question a lot better than I could because I want them to stay little forever. <laughs> I do think you're bringing I, up a good point he, in, in communicating with them that they can achieve great things, whether they be an engineer or not, um, really, from the beginning, helping them understand they can achieve greatness is so important. Yeah, and I think because we're not concerned if they're going to go to college or if they're going to get a good education, um, we definitely always love to explore what they are, what their interests are versus I guess and maybe you know to Kelly's point where where he says that he was always expected to go to college and that it was just this mandatory thing that everybody did it and for our kids I think that we're more open especially nowadays of what their lives are going to look like if they decide to do a career tech if they decide to go to college or not if they decide to you know, move to another country because they are bilingual. I think we're open to all of those conversations versus my parents, the highest expectation of me from them was to work at a bank. The expectations that we have for for ourselves is so, um, is so important you know to also take into consideration the dreams and the aspirations that we have and to make sure that all the students and all the families know that they have the availability to to achieve any of them but we also have to make sure that we do our parts to create those avenues and the opportunities for all of our students equally and equitably as needed yeah and to continue to support them because the more we tell them that they can't sometimes they will believe that and i do have students that thrive they want me to tell them that they can't they want me to tell them that no you can't make an a in this class because they like that challenge although it's very negative that's what they're used to um because when i tell them positive things they're like oh no miss morales don't say that don't tell me that you're proud of me don't tell me that you know, you expect more of me because I can't handle it. I've never heard that. I've never heard someone say that to me before. Well, you are definitely changing lives every single day. And I, um, I mean this with all of my heart. You've changed mine today and you helped make me even a better person um, and hopefully a better professional in what I'm doing just because you were able to share and be vulnerable. And so I cannot thank you enough for your, your time today. Are there any last words that you would like to to leave with with our audience with uh with mike with taylor myself anything um i feel like i've shared a lot but i really appreciate (laughs) all of you for the questions as i mentioned i appreciate taylor always thinking of me plugging me in (laughs) i guess he mateo was thanking us too right yeah (laughs) it's how we pay for your answers bumpy (laughs) Oh, man. Thanks for your time, Tracy. We really appreciate it. 
had a I lot just of fun. appreciate it so much. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. To all of the listeners out there, thank you for spending this time with us on Cultural Connections Lab. I would like to do a big shout out to Dr. Taylor Tribble, the co-host today, uh, CEO and president of Skills, our sponsor, to our producer, Mike Overholt. Thank you so much for making us sound great every single time. And last but not least, sinceramente, muchas gracias a usted, Teres Morales, por todo lo que estás haciendo en el campo de educación. Thank you for everything that you're doing in the field of education. Um, we have learned so much from you, and we're better because of it. So thank you so much to everyone. I hope that you have a great rest of your day wherever you are. And remember, we love you. Adios. Muchas gracias. Adios. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe. Adios.